Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Creator Coffee Hour with me, Salma Mood. Now, this week, and for our very first episode, I spoke to a super, super special guest. His name is Sean Cornelius. Now, Sean is currently a second-year BBA law double major at Wilfrid Laurier University. But before starting at Laurier, Sean launched, scaled, and then sold two content marketing agencies where he delivered campaigns to a total audience of more than 120 million people globally. And specifically in a second venture, scaled the agency's return on investment to 800% all before grade 12. Sean has also completed projects for companies such as TD, Zara, Aer Lingus, and Facebook, as well as has worked at Amazon within their content marketing team. This conversation ranges from developing and finding your niche, refacing and overcoming rejection, and the importance of resiliency as an entrepreneur. This was a really, really awesome podcast to record, and I think you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. But before we get into it, make sure to hit the follow button if you're listening to this on Spotify, or the subscribe button if you're listening to this somewhere else. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our direct feed to receive our episodes as soon as they're launched through the link in our Instagram bio. So enjoy the show. It's actually kind of a funny story like so obviously we haven't met each other in person but yeah <laughs> you no know, we've had the privilege to work with each other over the last year with jdcc which has been awesome but i actually saw you on linkedin like a year ago right like i'd say it like <laughs> and and i don't know i don't know if someone who's liked to post or someone shared a post of yours or something like that and i clicked on your profile and i was like like who the heck is this kid like who is this who is this guy there is no way that this individual has done all this stuff. <laughs> that is insane. And then we ended up being on JDCC this year. And I was like, wow, man, this kid's legit, right? He must be. I'm not, but like, I don't think you think that. <laughs> I just, yeah, I've just been so excited to have this conversation and to kind of dig deeper into your story and, and into what you've done. So if you want to start, just give a brief intro about yourself and what your niche is, what you do from there yeah no for sure so um i've been in marketing for probably about going on six years now um i primarily focus on digital marketing mainly through mediums of content and then consumer experience design and then digital optimization which are just fancy buzzwords for taking organizations that are inherently not digital and digitizing your marketing efforts into more of a sustainable system um over the last like like I said, a couple of years, um, I've worked with about 150 companies just around there, um, mainly on projects that have really helped to develop them through storytelling. So when I got my start, um, I ran an agency called Gecko, which was a make your pitch alumni company. I think it was probably the most successful company to come out of that project, which is kind of fun. Um, but we focused on, it was just like a random run of, run of the mills, like digital agency that focused on like small businesses. So our, niche if you will for that one was more like let's help businesses that are like mom and pop shops that have no like desire to be digital and help make them like a little bit more tech savvy and focus on their like digital efforts so we i i say we just because i had a really amazing team behind me that helped me to just do that and i think that's part of my success is just trying to find people who are always smarter than you i like to think of myself as like 
not so much as like a really good marketer, but as a person who can find really good people, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so after, after that, um, we kind of decided that we wanted to pivot. So we sold Gecko. It was a sole proprietorship. So I say we, it's kind of the royal we in that, in that case. But um, we sold Gecko and then took that cash and invested it into a company called Kintan, which was my biggest success up to this point. So Kintan was a, did two things. We realized at Gecko that most of our clients, if not all of them, were, required content. They weren't able to tell their stories properly into words that they could really articulate on a consistent level, which was really kind of shocking because when you really think of like a restaurant, you can be like, oh, like we sell X, Y, and Z where it's like, okay, no, you, you're a community focused center of something that makes people like want to come together and want to visit your location, which is very different than just telling them that they sell like eggs and bacon and stuff like that. Um, I'm thinking of breakfast just because it's 10 a.m., which is perfectly okay. Um, so yeah, so we decided that we wanted to pivot into doing content and consumer experience design. Um, in London specifically, and it's funny because I work there now at Tech Alliance, um, we got connected into Tech Alliance, which is a regional innovation center, similar to that of like Communitech or Mars Discovery District, it's just the one in London. Um, and that was really where we got to be able to make a lot of these connections with, uh, businesses that we wanted to work with. So TD Canada Trust, um, Zara was one of our larger ones. JetBlue was one of our larger ones. Um, all these like really amazing companies that took a chance on us because what we ended up doing was positioning ourselves as like, we are the generation that is coming up into like the next consumer group and who better, who is better to market to those people other than the people who are in that generation. So that was really how we got through the door a lot of the times. Um, but to be perfectly frank, it wasn't very easy to start. Um, I forget who, who it was, um, last year, um, a student in uh, first year and then like done the same thing you did, like looked at my LinkedIn, stalked me for a minute. And I was just like, oh shit, like, that's fine. <laughs> um, and he, he was like, how did you like start? How did you like get into this? How did you figure out that you want to do this? And I was like, to be perfectly honest, we did the first like five clients for free. I, in London, there's, so Western has a bunch of affiliate universities like King's, um, Brush is one of them, Huron's one of them. Uh, a lot of my friends ended up going to King's. And what we ended up doing was we knew King's didn't have a very strong brand at the time when we were kind of, they've, they really upgraded it ever since then, but at the time they didn't. So we decided to be like, hey, like, hi, we're the students that you're trying to attract. Like, can we work with you? And it, it worked really well. We built them a really solid campaign for, their uh um intake for that year so it was like a winter campaign that ran all the way through until like the deadline for admissions um and it garnered i think they had invested maybe like five or six grand into the account um, and it, it blew up it got like four million views on facebook which was insane roi if you're really looking at it and we were like oh wow like this is great um to be per perfectly honest, as a marketing agency, you'd think we would do a whole like ton of marketing for ourselves. And to be perfectly honest, we didn't invest a dime into it. We kind of just let off of like, let's make really great relationships with our clients and let's let them do the talking for us. Because the greatest way of marketing yourself is through a referral, especially in a B2B type business. Um, and it just kind of worked. It blew up from there. We started a program called uh, 10% where we gave 10% of our cash and 10% of our time to charity, which is how I got involved with one run. 
they were one of our 10% companies. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it, it kind of worked. And um, my role quickly pivoted from like building this startup and marketing and trying to be like the person who is really strategic about like how we run our accounts to let me be the person who's removing barriers for my staff and employees. Cause we ended up growing up to like 30 some odd staff in two offices, one in London, one in Toronto. And it, it just kind of in high school, you don't really expect those types of things to happen. And we were just like, what have we done? Like we had no idea until like maybe a year or two in that we're like, Oh my God, we've, this is, this is on crash. It's like crazy. We, it's we crazy. Built something. <laughs> so, so. I wanted to kind of take a step back from there, like even prior to winning the make your pitch competition, right? Sure. Like what even set you on this path? What made you think content marketing can be something that I can, that, that I really enjoy that can become my niche, right? That's something that a lot of people have difficulty with. Even the person you kind of mentioned, maybe they were always entrepreneurial minded, but they didn't really know what drive they wanted to move towards, right? So like, I want to know, like, you, like you're literally, you're literally 13, right? <laughs> like, how did you decide, I'm going to launch a digital marketing agency with me and a bunch of people from high school. What made you launch that versus, I don't know, some other business? Yeah, that's a good question. It, I mean, it's funny to think of myself as like 13, like this little tiny pipsqueak <laughs> trying to like <laughs> do, because I was, I was a tiny kid. So like doing that type of stuff is like insane to me still. Um, so before even entering high school, I was on, um, in grade seven, grade eight, I did like student council and those types of things. I just absolutely loved it. Like I loved the like nomenclature of like managing people and like trying to connect them with things and trying to get just shit done in general. Um, almost to a point at which like in grade eight, I'm pretty sure everyone called me the principal versus like the actual principal, just cause like I was in the office more like doing stuff. And I was just like, oh, okay, whatever guys, it's, it's so funny. Anyways. So, um, Specifically around content marketing and why that's like my specified niche, to be perfectly honest, I fell into it. I just kind of liked leveraging words and the, the way that we can tell stories in order to sell a product or connect people into ecosystems or get them to be engaged with the organizations. Um, and I really like, I, I think of content marketing as like investing in your customer before they invest into you. You're giving them some sort of inherent value of like knowledge or sharing or those types of things before they've even given you a dime. And that makes for a really interesting and unique relationship that is very different to companies that don't do content marketing. Why I got into marketing in general, it was kind of on a flim thing. I really liked building Wix sites um, at the time because um, they were free and it was really easy to do. And I found it really entertaining and really interesting to like make something look really aesthetically pleasing. Um, I've definitely elevated my own skills from that point if I'm being honest. Um, but that was really why I thought digital marketing might be an interesting like avenue to try. Um, had no Photoshop skills, had nothing to do with like, I, I was a shit writer at that time, um, but I just wanted to try it. So in grade nine, um, there was this little poster at the back, which was for Make Your Pitch. And my high school teacher had maybe sent like five or six kids, kids in his entire like career um, to it, to apply into this, uh, program. So how it works is you do a video, it's two minutes about your business idea and you submit it and you get votes and then the votes account for half of your marks. And then the judges like scores account for the other half. It's very ambiguous. I don't really understand why they did it that way, but nonetheless, and then they send 10 out of the entire group to Toronto to pitch at a conference called discovery. And it's by the Ontario centers of excellence, which is now called the Inter 
Ontario Centers of Innovation, I think, something like that. Um, and the winners get, so there's five winners out of that. They get five grand in funding. They get mentorship. They get all this like lovely things out of it. So me, this little tiny like child <laughs> goes up there to Toronto um, with my mother expecting nothing to happen. Like I was okay at presenting because like in grade seven, grade eight, you had to give like speeches and stuff for that council thing. So like doing public speaking and talking is not like something I'm afraid to do. And I, I can muster up the courage to like do it for a couple of minutes, get down there and then like just melt. So that's what I did. I just kind of went up there, gave my pitch, told a story about like a small business client that I'd worked with. Like I had one or two clients that I was doing for free and I was like, oh yeah, they're amazing. They're great. They're lovely. They're doing big things. And I was like trying to like upsell them as well in this pitch. And I still have it. It's kind of funny. So yeah. So go down there, pitch and like how it works is you pitch. And then the day after it's like this big gala. And that that's when they announce like the winners of this competition. And there's other things that happen during that weekend as well. Um, first one to be called is me, this little tiny kid. And I'm like, what the flip and fuck just happened. <laughs> it's amazing. So and my the, the look on my mother's face was just priceless. She's like, pardon? <laughs> She's like, what, what just happened? So yeah, so get on the train back, a little richer. And that was how we funded the business and the rest is history. And that's how we were able to do the free things as well. Like we had cash behind us to be like, let's not focus on making revenue. Let's focus on making some really good content or some really good pieces of work and build a portfolio and then market the shit out of that portfolio and get them to be toppers. So, so you kind of digged into it a little bit talking about Wix and you know, how that kind of exposed you to it, but how did you even hear about what digital marketing was? How was that idea kind of planted in your head? I want to kind of know that process. Like, how did that even happen? No, like I, I inherently I'm a pretty creative person. I think I'm not, I'm very analytical in the way that I, approach things but at the same time like for presentations or for the things that I do in general I'm, I'm fairly creative naturally and even as a kid I was like um the person that loved like I love airplanes like you take me to an airport it's a similar same thing as like taking me to Disney like absolutely love it like it's great even as a kid so I think naturally what I gravitate towards is like things that look good <laughs> and um structurally like just they, they they feel good and they work if that makes sense marketing in general it's an interesting question i think a lot of the times i think with me it felt easy <laughs> so i think i just was like let's let's do that i'm not really the type of person that like i'll approach a challenge but like if i feel like it's not getting anywhere or i i'm pushing this boulder up this mountain, but like, I'm literally going downhill at this point, then I'll reassess and reevaluate what I'm doing. And I think just the points of entry for marketing, because it's online and because a lot of those resources are free, it's very easy for a lot of people to learn how to do those things on their own without a lot of like knowledge. Like I personally, myself, like besides doing all my modules with Google and Facebook and all those companies to really get my certifications, like I have a Google Analytics, um, I think it's called an IQ certification, which just means I've done the entire program. And then I'm a Facebook certified digital marketing associate, which is actually fairly rigorous course. 
Um, but I did that after the fact. Like I was like, oh, like I have some time, let's go do that. But before all that happened, it was just like trial and error of like, you you have a problem I need to solve, like as a client, like let's, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you I can do it even if I have no idea what you're talking about and then Google it later. And that, especially in the early days, it'd be like clients would come to us and be like, oh, like I, I really wanna increase my SEO or I, I, I wanna launch some SEM ads, which is just fancy nomenclature for, I wanna run digital ads. And I'd be like, great, sure, let's do it. Like how much do you want to spend? And they'd be like, oh, like this and this and this. I'd be like, Carrie, I'll uh, do up a contract. I'll send it to you at the end of the day. And like, even like having to know how to do that element of the business, like the legality side, like that was complete BS on my part. Like it was just like Google what contract looks like. Let's copy and paste that fucker. And then like, <laughs> the funny thing was, is that we did get eventually get a lawyer at some point and they ended up writing up some contracts for us, which is great. But like, besides that, like all of it was like, let's, Google how to do this. Let's figure out how, what this client is really requesting of us and let's master this. Because like, if this works, then they're going to go tell someone that this worked and then they're going to go find another person that wants us. And then from there, it's, it's marketing is a really great industry because if you're really good at it, you can easily be, build a very solid agency in a relatively short period of time. Like we had about a hundred clients come through our doors in about two years, which is pretty good. But on the flip side, like if you struggle and if you are not proactive with your clients and you don't handhold them, like a lot of my role in contend was client facing, which meant that I was the person that signed off on the account. I was responsible for making sure that we met the contract contractual obligations. So what is the ROI they're looking for? What is the amount of impressions they're trying to get? What is the due dates for all the types of these things? So like all of that was really up to me. And I really took that as a personal note because I wanted to make sure that personally as an agency owner, we were delivering. My, my co-founder was amazing because we were like opposites of the same coin. Like he did all of the internal op operation stuff and like was amazing. And he would fight me on things, which as a co-founder is a really, really solid thing because it, I knew it wasn't a personal attack on my creative element or what we were talking about, but it was more of a thing like, let's make sure that we can push this conversation to the extreme to make sure that if it doesn't break, then we know it's a good idea, um, which was great. So. so the next thing I kind of wanted to dig into was one of the main reasons why I really do like your story is being entrepreneurial. When people, especially when young, younger students think being entrepreneurial, they always think traditionally like B2C, right? Like yep. what can I build for Clothing brands, customer, clothing yeah, brand, like products. And if they do think B2B, right, they think, oh, a SaaS, or they yep. think, oh, like um, some kind of supply chain thing, or, you know, they don't think that, oh, I can take my own personal brand and take what I know and provide value to small, medium businesses, or even like you have done, like even larger businesses, right, as an independent consultant, just using what I know as a person. So I kind of want to, kind of want to know, like, did you think about this at all? Because I, I think now you're conscious of it, but how did you kind of go through that process in terms of building your personal brand now? Because I think that's a great thing. And that's something that people who are entrepreneurial don't really think of as an option, right? being an independent consultant. The, the short answer to your question is like, I, B2C inherently at the start of running a business is very easy because you know exactly who your customer is and it's very casual conversation. B2B um, takes a second. <laughs> Uh, which like, if you're patient enough to like 
I, I think there's two elements of why for me personally, it worked really well for, to be entering into B2B. One, I'm a naturally very like straight leaning person. Like if you have a conversation with me in a context that's very professional, I will riff with you and make sure and keep that like same level of professionalism, even if you're like six year old and I'm like 14. Like I would have like very good conversations with that. And it worked really well for me because I can pick like vocations and verbiage and words and shit that sound very like good and make me look good in that type of instance, which is really great. Because networking, especially in B2B, is even more important than in B2B, B2C because you have a smaller number of customers that are spending a lot more on you. The second thing that worked really well for me was the fact that I was young. <laughs> um, if you're able to milk that for all it's worth, like I said, like how we positioned our agency was we're going to help you build content for generational audiences and make sure that it's targeted towards them and that it essentially is very feels very authentic to that audience. Will you let us do that? And very rarely would businesses doubt that we knew what we were doing because what we would do is we would build on that professionalism aspect of we would have case studies built up. We, we had a really solid website and we positioned our personal brand for myself personally, but then also the agency um, as one and the same. Like I, like I said before, I ran a lot of that like client facing salesy account management account rep side of the business. Like I was very much like, I knew all of the leads on our accounts. I knew who to contact. I knew who to talk to. I knew there was an issue who to go talk to. I knew who, who to handhold as well. Like that in agencies and B2B, like, knowing if when and if you have to handhold your client is like a massive thing because nine times out of 10 your work can be average but as long as you explain to them exactly what you're doing and making sure that you're checking in with them like that's even that's they pay for that that's part of like why an agency works um but yeah so because i was that i had to be positioned alongside the agency so Everyone knew me as Sean from Contend. They didn't know me as Sean Cornelius, if that makes sense. So the agency's brand was a part of my own, and I made sure that I was very invested in that as well. So I think for anyone trying to get into entrepreneurship, into B2B, you can't get like dissuaded easily. You have to be like, it took us like, like I said, we did a couple of months where like we gave away a lot of free service and we were trying to build a portfolio up really quickly so then we can go and sell that portfolio. But like it probably was a couple of months like before we even got like a first large, like we had a couple of small paying clients that like wanted logos and like small like one-off works, which is like fine, but it doesn't keep and sustain an agency, especially when you have a lot of cash that goes out because you spend a lot as an agency. Um, but like, you have to be like very like head down focused. You have to just like let the process do its thing. And the more networking events you go to, the more people that you cold call, that was a huge thing that I got to learn, which I absolutely loved. Like I had a co-op at this place and they were like, oh, like, are you okay to co-call? And I was like, absolutely, let's, let's, <laughs> let's go, let's do this. Um, and it was so much fun. Cause like, I just, it's a good conversation and you learn like tactics of like how to do that properly. Um, so like, you just have to like, the more you do it, the more likely you are to get those clients in the door. And I think naturally as entrepreneurs in B2B, you want to start big. 
Um, my big inspiration for when I started my agency was the movie The Intern with Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, purely because there's a scene where he walks into this office and it's like this shining, glistering thing that is like the sexiest looking office you've ever seen in your life. And I'm like, that is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I, I want that. Like, let's figure out how to get that. And we kind of did, but even still. Um, but you can't like, that's the goal, but that should not be the immediate goal is what I'm getting at. Like you need to start with that, like small business, giving you a couple hundred bucks a month. And then you slowly work up to 10 K the first $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue in an agency is the hardest to get. But once you've gotten it, you're like heavy set. You're probably making a profit at that point. At least we were. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it, it exponentially grows very rapidly. Um, which is super fun because yeah, like I said, like if you're good at it and you can do it and the work that you're producing is of really good quality and you're making sure you're investing time into making relationships with your current and former clients, like you're, you're on the right path. So very different though, from B to B to C. <laughs> and so you mentioned like inspiration, some of your inspiration there, what kind of role did, I guess, mentorship play? kind of in your development as well. I saw online, I think it was the CEO of Diply. Yeah, you know, Gary, Gary Manning. say Gary, yeah. But even other inspirations, whether it be books, other content creators that you listen or read, what kind of roles they play and what do you think, you know, they taught you that kind of helped you along this journey? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So yeah, like first off is Gary. To give the sparks and tradition of who Gary is, is Gary is one of the three co-founders of Diply. Um, Diply is essentially the Canadian version of BuzzFeed. So, um, massive, massive company. They do like, in, it, he, he's just like an insane guy in terms of like, just knowing that how to master social media and community and, um, super, super smart. Um, I met him through tech Alliance. He's one of the entrepreneurs and residences there. Um, which is great because all of the RICs in Ontario have those. So leverage those to your advantage. Um, but yeah, I got connected to him through Tech Alliance, um, and yeah, he was great at trying to figure out like really high level, like strategic thinking on our part as a business who did digital. Um, and the one thing that I thought was great is there's people as a younger guy and as a smaller person, one of the things that grinded my gears a lot of the times with clients is they would call me buddy. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I know you would never call your 40 year old colleague buddy, but I love that you do that. And it, it, it was something that like, I would never tell them like to their face, like, please don't call me that. But it was just something that naturally grinded my gears and Gary had never done that to me. And I think that was just something that I very much appreciated is the fact that he didn't look to me as this like 16, 17 year old kid who was like asking him questions and getting his advice on things and telling us or us telling him like what's going wrong in our business how do we solve this like getting an adult's perspective I guess um, but he really treated us as like this is a group of younger people but they're really building something here that is is pretty big and a little bit bigger than themselves but I think they just need some help so I really appreciate that on our, on his end um so yeah, so just, I guess, find people like him <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> find your clone copies of Gary Manning. Um, beyond that, there's a couple of other agencies specifically in the States that do content uh, as a CMS system. Namely, the company is called Contently. 
which is my personal favorite, and then NewsCred. Um, one of the co-founders of Contently, his name is Sean Snow, and I, I read all of his content because he's just an amazing writer. Um, and he does content in a very, I want to say human and very raw way, um, even though I know he's trying to sell me a product, but like, it just, it feels very connected and I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, besides them, like I read a, a crap ton of like McKinsey and like Deloitte articles that I think most of my inbox in terms of like the morning when I wake up is just like five emails from like McKinsey, 12 from Deloitte, a couple from BCG. And I'll read through them just because like, I like knowing what's going on, but I also like understanding what's happening in industry. Um, and then besides that as a marketer, there's a couple of things like, uh, I follow up a bunch of agencies. One is huge. Um, they're a New York based agency and they're, I would love to work there <laughs> at some point in my life. Hopefully that happens. Um, I just think they have the coolest, like every big brand, and every big campaign you've ever seen has come out of that agency. Um, what else do I read? I read a lot of like Ogilvy stuff and a lot of case studies on their end. And then um, Google, um, oh shoot, what's it called? Something by Google, I'm forgetting what it's called. Wherever I can get information about like the systems that I'm working with or like what companies are doing throughout my day. I, I To be perfectly frank and honest, I don't read a lot of like, I won't pick up a book just because like, life's busy and the seven chapter or the seven chapters I got to read in uh like accounting is <laughs> gonna fry <laughs> my head so I don't really I can just tutor you <laughs> it's okay it's not a terrible course <laughs> it's not BDM <laughs> so it's all good but yeah so I think your relationship with Gary was kind of I wouldn't say lucky but obviously you're privileged enough to kind of have that resource for you out there so in hindsight, if you didn't have that, what would you kind of seek to find someone give you that help that you might have needed if Gary wasn't there? Would you have cold emailed, cold called? Would you have reached out? Or would you, again, just have waited for some other kind of mentorship kind of opportunity to kind of come to you naturally? That's a good question. Gary definitely had a pretty big impact on our business just from a strategic standpoint. Naturally, I think mentorship is something, especially for younger entrepreneurs, it should be required. And it doesn't matter if it's a small clothing brand or if you're selling candy on the side of a road. Like, I think you should probably be riffing and having conversations with people who have either done it before or who have like specific ideas about like how to make things better. Um, it's kind of like I, I think of mentorship as like when you write a paragraph or an essay or a novel or whatever it is, like you as a per like personally myself, I can't edit my own work. And it's kind of the same way with like entrepreneurs and like mentors, like you can do the do and you can do whatever you're doing in your day to day, but because you're so ingrained in that day to day of building a business, helping your clients put up fires, hiring people, onboarding, like all that type of shit that you generally can't, you can take a step back from time to time, but like, it's not something you can do as an on and off. Like we definitely had like moments where like, uh, Daniel and I got, who's my co-founder, um, got a little less busy. And that's where we like took a step back to think a little bit more strategically about the business. But that's why mentorship, I think, is so important is because naturally, like we had lots of mentors beside Gary as well. Um, but those mentors were able to put us in that perspective of being strategic and thinking about problems and trying to grow the business and um, where we're trying to invest our time and resources as an organization. 
um, on an instant dime. Like we could walk into the meeting and that is what we're focused on in that instance. And they could do it in a way that wasn't um, like foggy, if that makes sense. Like they would take what we were telling them as God's words and leverage that into what they would tell us. And a lot of the time we would leverage that information into the conversations that the two of us would have about if we're going to do it or not. Because naturally like mentors are there to kind of be your sounding boards, but they're not there to actually guide or tell you what to do with your business. They're only really there to give you the advice of what they think. And I think that the more that you have, the better chances that the advice that you get as a collective like group of mentors um, is going to have an impact on your business as well. So um, in hindsight, like had we not had Gary, I think like certain things might've not happened. Like we built an entire CMS platform internally for our clients. And that was something that he had told us, like, I think you should do this. And um, that was kind of the like nudge that like kicked the house over that like pushed us into doing it. But um, we had a lot of different mentors that were connected to us through like networking sessions that we had attended. Um, Tech Alliance was another one that again, they had a lot of mentors that they could connect us with and then we were happy to do so. Um, yeah, like, especially as young people, people who have been in the industry for like 10, 20 years, you tell them you're a student, like, they're going to like be pretty gun ho about like, I'll give you half an hour of my time. Like, what do you want to know? Or, um, just cold emailing them and being like, hi, like I have one question, like, what did you do wrong in your life <laughs> kind of thing? And like, it'll, you'll be surprised by the number of people who would actually tell you from their business perspective of like, oh yeah, like when I started, this is the like X, Y, and Z are the things that I did badly. Don't do that. And like that in and of itself, they're not mentors in, for like a long period of time, but they might, but it still gives you an opportunity to kind of learn from their mistakes and see how they've like pivoted within their businesses as well. So, And you mentioned one thing that I think is really important and it's that, you know, mentor is there to kind of to provide you some level of advice, some level of guidance, but they're not there to hold your hand and tell you step by step, this is what to do. And I think a lot of people, they get confused on, you know, what the role of a mentor or what the role of mentorship kind of plays in your entrepreneurial journey and like even in the, your total career journey as well. Because, you know, again, everyone's different. Everyone's journey is very different. And if there's something you want to do or somewhere you want to be, let's say five, 10 years down the line, your, your, your own journey is going to carry out on itself. And it's simply that mentor is there to provide you advice on, you know, what you're experiencing and what you might do next rather than take you by the hand and pull you to that spot. So I think that's really important. And I think that's a good point from you. Even in like education, like a lot of first years will reach out on like LinkedIn and stuff. And they're like, oh, like I'm doing this for like my Joe's Java and like this and this and this. And I'm like, great. Like, I'm not going to edit it for you. Like, I'll give you advice and what I think, but I'm not going to tell like, I think the margin should be bigger or the color should be different or like, that's like small, that's a small like idea of mentorship, but even still, I'm like, I will help you do the X, Y, Z and tell you my thoughts. But I'm like, even when we did um, consulting case, like the, the reviews, oftentimes a lot of those groups would tell us like, Oh, like, what do you think of this and this? And I'm like, I don't like it. Or like, I like it. It's great. And they'd be like, Oh, do you think I should change it? And it was like, well, that's, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to judge your presentation and, that type of stuff. So like, yes, very much what you said, like mentors are not there to like baby you, but they're there to kind of be the person that you riff with. And one other thing you said too, is 
And I think for people like me and you, you know, who are pretty extroverted, cold calling, cold emailing, cold messaging, like I wouldn't say it comes naturally, but oh, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to put myself out there. But for a young kid who might be a little bit, you know, nervous, how would you say, like, how do you get over that kind of hump to kind of just do it? What is your piece of advice there? <laughs> yeah, like I, I definitely think yourself as well. I would consider myself like an introverted extrovert. Like I, I know when to speak my mind, but at the same time, like I will be the shyest person in the room if I feel any, <laughs> like if any discomfort. Um, in terms of like, pushing yourself to like actually do it. Um, there's two things. One, no one else is going to do it for you. So you have to do it. You have to keep that in mind. Um, it's kind of like setting for a test. If you don't study for that test, like Sally beside you is not going to write that math midterm for you because Sally does give, doesn't give two shits about you. She's going to do her own and <laughs> see you later. <laughs> so like you, you have to like, you have to have that like inner motivation to like want to do it. Um, and I usually give myself like, I'll, I have like, you can't see my monitors or anything, but like I have a sticky note palette that runs around the borders of all of my monitors. And it's just like, like this is like the thing I got to do for tomorrow and today and those sorts of things. I just like to physically see them and then I'll take them off and like rip them to shit. Um, in terms of like actually getting it done though, you have to plan a day to do them and you have to just do it. And like, that sounds so cliche and generic and like bullshitty, but like, like I said, no one else is going to do it. So like, you need to make sure that like, as a business owner, that you are fully invested in what you're doing. And like, if you have any subtle, like pushbacks personally of like reaching out to businesses to cold call them or like trying to find mentors or assistants, I think you should reconsider what type of business you're in, or I think you should reconsider the position that your business is kind of push, pushing out. Um, the other thing on the flip side of that, that doesn't mean like completely scrap your business because I can't write a cold call email. On the flip side of that, I think entrepreneurship naturally is a very isolating type of thing to do. Um, you are in a world where the buck stops with you and like when we got to like 30 employees, I was like, oh God, like I am responsible financially for 30 people. That is insane to me. Like I, I have to provide a paycheck to these people on a consistent basis every other week to make sure that they can like pay for university or do whatever the, whatever they're doing with it. And let me just jump in, yeah. jump in there as a 17 or 16 year old as well. Yeah. Like for you, yeah. you, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 that's crazy. Oh. Um, okay. Let's uh, <laughs> like insane. I, I, again, I don't even know what we were on. Like looking back on it, I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyways. So like what I was getting at with that is like, because entrepreneurship is so isolating, it's almost better to go into it with a co-founder. I found my experience like doing it with Daniel as a co-founder was so much more pleasant on my end because I knew that if I wasn't going to do something that I could like give it to him and vice versa. Like he would give me shit that he just did not want to do. And I'd be like, fine, I'll do it. Like you can do this. I'll do that for you, which is great because then you can play. It has to be something where you can play off each other's strengths though. Like you can't be the same person. We definitely had a lot of similarities and we had a lot of similar interests, but as an individual, like he was a little bit more shy. Whereas I'm like pretty, pretty outgoing in terms of like 
talking to people and making them feel welcome and those sorts of things, but it worked. Um, so yeah, I think in a retrospective, like doing those introductions for cold emails and those types of things, start with an email because cold calling is much more like you got to get pumped to do that. Like I definitely would be like, play a, play a loud song for like 10 minutes, get pumped, get jacked, get amped. And then I would go do it for like four hours. And that would be what I would do. I would talk to people until like, I genuinely was like, okay, I can't talk to anyone else. Like, cause once you get into it and once you start, it's kind of like running a race, like starting the race is really difficult, but getting into it and continuing on personally for me is, is really easy. Um, probably preface that I run marathons. So like naturally, like starting is difficult. I hate starting. It's always the most anxious, but once you start it, it's like a release of energy and you can just continue going. Um, but yeah, start small, do the emails and then work your way up to like phoning people. Cause we would, I, I found personally my most success in calling people and just being like, hi, can I have 60 seconds of your time today? Most people are not like too antsy about giving up 60 seconds of their time, even though for a fact, you know, you're going to probably take like five, 10 minutes. So um, if you can just have a conversation with people, like they're still human, they're not going to curse you out or tell you to go like <laughs> go away or die or those sorts of things. Like they're going to be pretty, especially as a young person, they're going to be pretty like, okay with having a conversation with you. And I think young entrepreneurs have to, or in fact, anyone, any young student has to be realistic and has to know, like, it's one thing that you have to know, which is rejection happens. Like rejection happens all the time. And I think like, and this is not just in business. This is not just in your career. This is in life. And I think with taking any risks, especially with cold email and cold calling, like sometimes you just have to do it. If you get rejected, you just have to move on and just go on to the next one, right? Like you have to go through those that process of being rejected a bunch of times because not only will that, ha will that help you kind of hone your process, but that'll make the next time you do that, you're gonna be like, I don't give a fuck if I get rejected. Like, who cares? I'm just gonna do you it. Learn I think that's, yeah. yeah, you have nothing to lose. I think about that all the time. Like, what, what is there to lose from doing this? Like, nothing. But there is exponential gain from it going well. A lot of my decisions, I feel like, are like that sometimes. It's like, sometimes I get a little bit of nervousness. I'm like, uh, I don't know if I want to do this. And then I think, well, like, fuck it. Let's do it. Well, same thing with, like, JDCC. Like, I think I applied to it the day before it was due because I genuinely was like, I am trash. Like, I genuinely don't even think I could get, like, an offer to come and interview. And, like it worked so like <laughs> there's literally like there's nothing you have to lose in that situation like I don't know I, like I said like I've worked with probably about 150 ish clients I've probably sent out maybe five or ten times that in RFPs which is like you send an RFP for like estimates and those sorts of things in marketing um yeah that were rejected and I'm like okay great peace and love take care guys wish you best of luck it's funny though too, because in B2B, unlike B2C, oftentimes you'll quote someone and they're very real about that quote to a point at which like, even if they reject you, they're going to come back in like half a year. And they're going to be like, hi, like thought you guys were great. It just didn't work out that one time. Do you want to do it again? And like, we've definitely gotten business that way as well. So like, you can't be like burning a bridge over like one, like shitty contract that didn't go through or one negotiation that just didn't sync up for that specific project because like 
even like for me personally, because I specialize in a very niche element of marketing, I will take projects outside of it, but like, I'm usually not as interested or excited about it. So naturally, like, I'm not as like, oh no, like they didn't sign the contract. If like, if it was something outside of that or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you, you, you can't get dissuaded if like someone's like, oh, I don't think it's a great fit right now. Um, just because like they might come back and, or they might know someone that might fit your mold of whatever you're doing a little bit more, um, which is super fun as well. So yeah, business is, it's an interesting animal. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And then we touched on this a little bit, you know, managing others at such a young age. I feel like that comes with a lot of difficulties and both both internally and externally as well. Like the credibility, like you said, like people calling you buddy, the misconceptions that people might have of you just because of the way you look or your age. We can talk about the employee side first and then we can maybe talk about the about your clients afterwards. But yeah, like on the employee side, you're in high school, right? So, you know, one of your employees might just have an ego be like, and you tell them, oh, go do this one day. And they just like, like, right. well, what do you know? <laughs> right. So like, how, how did you deal with that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so a lot of my employees were the same age or around my same age. So naturally like gave away with like the, oh, what do you know type thing? Um, I didn't look for people who were like good marketers when I hired. I was looking for, because like you can, like I said, you can teach people anything that I do. Like as long as you're like able and willing to like take the time to like learn I guess um so because of that like I wasn't looking for people who were like solid at like Facebook ads or like could write copy like it was gold I was looking for people who were interested in learning who were different and unique in a sense of like whatever it is that they were interested in in their life they own that and I didn't care what it was um and they were able to tell me in their interview and we had a pretty quirky interview process where like um, it would be an interview with me and whoever on the team was like managing their team to kind of get to know them. And then like when we would hire them again, we would ask them to write a piece of copy. So even if you were an account executive or project manager or someone who was actually writing editorial, we wanted you to, we wanted to see how you wrote. And the question we would always ask them would be, tell us in your own opinion, the way in which you would make a grilled cheese sandwich. So essentially like the recipe for how to make it. And like, we did that for a couple of different reasons. One was, I just wanted to see if you had grammar and proper like ability to spell properly. And the second was, I really wanted to see how creative some of these people were. And we would get some people who would be like very concise, very clear. And it would be like, bing, bing, boom, done, like four or five lines of like, get bread, put butter, grill it. And we would also have people who I swear to you would have 60 steps into this and it would be like, open the window, smell the breeze, like shit like that. That was very like, not what you would think of in a recipe, but it, I appreciated it because it got me a little bit more in, in depth about who this person was creatively. Um, and we would do a bunch of other things, but that was the one thing in my mind for hiring specifically that stuck out. I don't know why we did it or decided it. I think it's just one day we were like, let's ask them how they make a grilled cheese. It's like their copy request. Um, 
so that got rid of like a lot of the like nomenclature around like is this person like good enough to work there um and is this person like smart enough to work there so like naturally we could like get to see and get to know them as a person um during onboarding and when we would hire people in um they essentially got to shadow me for like two weeks so like i would physically put them like beside me beside my desk and they would do their normal stuff get onboarded all that type of stuff and i would be like every day when they would get in and be like do you have any questions how's your day going how was like the first couple of days just getting to know them and making them feel better about themselves because like especially in b2b because you're working with like people who are relatively like up there in their careers especially on a client side as a student it's very daunting because you don't want to fuck that up and you don't want to come across as like unprofessional even greater than like someone who's been in the industry for 10 years like that was the one thing that like I had in the back of my head the entire time I was like I have to present 10 times more professional than the next guy because he's already thinking that I'm unprofessional because I'm 17. So like and that was something that I would tell like a lot of our account facing people so the people who would manage those relationships with their clients like I'd be like you need to make sure that you're being proactive you're checking in on a not, not a daily basis but a weekly basis with the client making sure that they're being communicated with understanding what that looks like um but yeah so like i would put them beside me just specifically because i wanted them to feel welcome in what they were doing and if they had any questions that like i'm like unsure of sean what's going on because i i had been there and i had established like what's going on in the agency and it happened a couple of times where like some of our people would drop the ball and i'd be like that's fine i understand that you've dropped the ball i understand that you're probably feeling very anxious about this let's fix this let's move on from the like emotional side of the situation and let's just like put our heads down explain what happened to the client they're usually very receptive and they're usually very forgiving but let's just make sure that it gets done because i think what people especially in b2b forget is that like mishaps and mistakes happen very frequently especially when you're having partnerships with businesses and you, we all try so hard not to make mistakes in those types of relationships, but it does happen. So you should expect it. And most of the time clients do expect that there's going to be one or two things that go wrong. It's not the things that go wrong. It's how you manage the things that go wrong. And for me, I was like, let's just make sure that they know that you're taken care of as an employee and that you feel that you can still do an amazing job even after the fact. And yeah, so that kind of like, that, that was kind of ingrained in, in our organization as a culture. Like you can come to Sean if your house is on fire, Sean will not get pissed off at you for lighting that house on fire. Sean will help you figure it out. <laughs> so that was kind of where I decided to lead from in my management style um, and just being very like check-in basis, like because we had people, like I, I was going to high school in London and we had people in Toronto I was not physically seeing those people on a weekly basis. I might go up for like, we worked for six days a week. So we got Saturday off. Saturday was our like takeoff day. And then Sunday we were back in the office for a full nine to five. At least I was. Some of our employees would take half the, the they would take the morning off and work with it the afternoon, which is perfectly fine. But sometimes I would go up to Toronto and I'd sit in the office there and work with them and get to know them a little bit more. But just being proactive and talking with your employees and making sure that they feel seen, especially as a leader in the organization is 
incredibly important. So I, I made that a personal goal of myself. One thing that you've hinted at is, you know, working on all of this while being in school. And Tim Ferriss, like I love Tim Ferriss. I think if we talk about this, I freaking love him. Yeah. One thing that he says that I really resonate with is, you know, why you can easily work on something on the side and have that in your side hustle and keep working on it. And it can, can sometimes it can be full time income. Well, one thing he says, there's no point in you leaving your other your other your, your full time job unless you're making double. That's that's the one thing that he said. And obviously, that may not be necessarily true for all people, but it's he's like, you don't have to go and make it, make this side hustle, make it full time, and put pressure on it. Essentially, put pressure on it to make it your full time thing, right? Because again, it makes things you know much more difficult as well. But obviously, in your case, you know, this is different. You're getting your high school education and now you're at Laurier full time. So like one, given your success, like why did you I'm surprised, like, why did you even decide to take the next step and go to Laurier? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> I think so. The first bit of like your question there about like not making your side hustle like your full time thing that goes back to the thing where I said, like, I wanted to be like in Hathaway's office and and the intern, it's a great goal, but you got to start smaller and start there. And you can't like place yourself into like this uh, idea that it needs to be like the next Amazon. Cause like, let's be honest, like it's not like you, you, you got to own your shit and do what you do with that. And then if it grows, that's great, but don't plan on it happening. You have to be very conservative in like your growth estimations. <laughs> um, in terms of why I went to Laurier. So I knew I wanted to do post-grad or post-grad, Jesus. Um, I knew I wanted to do something after high school um, just because like I had ran through this like entrepreneurial journey and like very frequently I'd be asked like, are you in university? Um, which is perfectly valid. I think like you're not going to get a lot of high school students doing what I was doing. And a lot of the times they'd be like, oh, like, what are you taking? And I'd be like, oh, like I'm in high school. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, will you take business? And I was like, yeah, probably. I don't, I don't know. It's in a couple of years. Um, and I think naturally for me, going to university is just something that like, I feel felt very comfortable doing. And I knew that even at Laurier, it's funny, a lot of my friends put a lot of pressure on their GPA um, to, especially at Laurier, like we have this very like high-end nomenclature that like, you need that 11, you need that 10. And I don't put a lot of like, I don't put a lot of personal aptitude into my grades. And what I mean by that is like, if I get a shitty mark on a midterm, it does not completely consume me because I know for a fact that like, I have my own established like foundation behind me that I can still like use and riff off of, which is perfectly great. Um, and I, I know a lot of people don't have that. And I, it's, it's a very different feeling personally, because I don't feel that I need to prove myself through that one avenue of what I'm doing at school. Um, it's, it's funny, a lot of times, like even on campus, like I did the Enactus Laurier website, I did the one for um, Blazik that just launched and like a lot of those different campaigns on different clubs. And like, people know it's me because I have a very unique style of how I do my marketing creative and those designs. And 
I think that in of itself, like I've had people ask me how I put things together and those sorts of things. And it's like, well, like five years of experience and a lot of coffee. So like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can answer that question immediately. Um, but that goes into additional, like people can do those other types of things beyond just your schoolwork. And that gives you some credibility in terms of what you're doing with co-op, with jobs, with things you're doing after um, leaving BBA or whatever program you're in at Laurier or at a different university or campus. Um, but doing those extra things gives you that additional credibility in terms of like what you're doing on campus. And the same thing with like JDCC, like I think you and I can both agree, like that is a very well-established brand on campus in the BBA program or in business itself that if you're on that team, like you're relatively in a position that is not high up there and not to sound like an ass or a dick, but like, I think naturally a lot of those people are very talented at what they do on that team, especially for academic and um, especially for debate as well. Like I was shocked when I saw that for the first time. I was like, holy shit, this is cool. Um, but I think that gives additional credibility to what we're doing in that type of field. I, I, so yeah, so I think, I think naturally like that's an additional reason to, to why people should get involved in extracurriculars, but going back to your main question of why I came to Laurier in general, um, I visited Laurier once before I came on campus. It was like a rainy day. It was trash. It was not very pleasant. I was not having the greatest of times, neither were my parents. Um, and I'm from London. So everyone, when I tell them I'm from London at Laurier, they're like, why didn't you go to Western? And I was like, well, Western is my backyard. Don't really want to live in my backyard, but love that you think I'm going to do that. Um, I did get into BMOS. I didn't get into Ivy, believe it or not. Um, so if you don't get into Ivy, it's not the end of the world. Um, there are definitely some very smart people there, but it's not everyone ends up going in there. Um, and I didn't go to Queens because I didn't want to take calculus in high school. <laughs> so um, Lori was, to be perfectly honest, like the best decision of my like university career was going to a school, not my hometown, because <laughs> the first like two weeks when you're on campus, especially in Raz, is like disgustingly like anxious. Like you <laughs> are just trying to survive day by day at that point. Um, and especially me, because like I had come to that like campus with like four people from my high school who were in different reses in different programs. So like genuinely knew Jack, no one, like no one, <laughs> no one is a, no one is a familiar face, but you slowly build up this like ability to be extroverted, even if you're introverted, which I think is the really unique thing of going to that, putting yourself in that situation. Um, and yeah, I, I, it was, it was a solid choice. And I think Laurie in of itself doesn't brand itself well as a BBA program and then it's a double degree program because it's tough. Like they, I think for our year, they had started with like 1700 kids and like BBA double degree and econ. And like, I think half of us stayed into second year, which is like a little scary. <laughs> just, just a yeah, tiny they actually, de they absolutely demolish our yeah. double degree. Like, I think we have maybe 10 to 20% of the original group. Like, I feel like we had like, I think we're down to like 30 people from like maybe 150. Yeah. 
see, I could never do that. Like, <laughs> no, I love that you think I'm going to do a math degree, but like, I'm smart, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> no, come on. It's different types of smart. Like even your decision to go to university, given all the experience you've had, all the things that you've kind of worked on. And this is not, this is both client facing as well as, you know, working alongside and having employees and developing them, mentoring yeah. them. And I, cause I feel like you could have totally went off and built another agency and done it maybe differently, but it could have been again, very, very successful. So, you know, and I feel like some students might be in this kind of stage where it's like, oh man, like, should I drop out? I think I have this really cool idea. I always think of these things as skill acquisition, right? Like what skills can I kind of get out of you going to university or taking this course? So did you see it that kind of way? Like, what, what were you kind of thinking with this decision? Yeah. I mean, it's funny you said like dropping out. I was like, I just did DDM this week and I'm like, the amount of times I thought of dropping out because of that one midterm is stupid. It's <laughs> anyways, um, in terms of why I came to Laurier or why I came to university in general, for me, I think it comes from an area of comfort. Um, most of my cousins in my family, um, are either doctors, um, one's a lawyer and then a couple went to business school. So like naturally, like most of us who have had the opportunity to go to university, um, have went and have like graduated. Um, so for me, like getting a degree was something that I think was just kind of from a comfort level. And I think, um, four years of your life is not especially when you're doing something like an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree or whatever that might look like. I don't think that's a stupid long period of time. And I think what you get, especially out of a business program is beyond the classroom is a lot of those connections. So in high school, I went to a relatively small high school. I'd probably talked to maybe like a handful of people from there still. And like, they're very solid bonds. Like we could pick up a conversation after like months and it would be the same. But in university, I, we'll walk out of Laz, go to like the calf or whatever, or like walk to a different building. And I'll probably run into like maybe half a dozen people who I know from my business courses. And I have a very like strong relationship with those people. And it's a very different situation in the sense of like, I, like I said, I'm an introverted extrovert, but at the same time, I have a very selective group of friends or people that I like actually want to go and have relationships with and like maintain those relationships and that's purely just because like one i'm stupid busy so like naturally i can't like have a crm system for my friends of like 50 people which would be like stupid and i think would goes against why you have friends but naturally i think like that's just kind of what pba or business program in general does is it puts a lot of very smart people together in the same room and regardless if you stay or not you're able to create a very stable and strong bond with those people that I know post-graduation will probably help me out in the, past, in, in the future. Like um, people like Hassan, like I could never do what he does to be perfectly honest. What he does is insanely like out there for me. And I just am like baffled by how he knows how to do all that finance shit. But I know that there's a lot of similarities and interests in terms of like what we want to do post-graduation and those types of things. So relationships like that are something that I value even more now. And that's what's keeping me at Laurier. You're right though. I could definitely leave and I'd be okay. Um, but I think for where I'm trying to go and what I'm trying to do in the future, um, I think 
an undergraduate degree to the least is something that I definitely want to be able to achieve. So, yeah. So I think we've dived into a lot. You have a lot of your journey, obviously six years, like you have a lot of, and I don't know, you, maybe you'll, you'll kind of rebuff on this, but you have a lot of wisdom that I think, (laughs) and no, you know, you do, you do, you know, given your experiences, given what you've done that you can pass on to a lot of people and that a lot of people would be inspired by. Um, But again, it's so much. So looking back on things, key takeaways, looking back on it, starting again at 13, what are your kind of key takeaways over the last six years that, you know, you wish you kind of did this earlier? You wish you kind of did that earlier. How have you evolved that now that you would change to change back then, essentially? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the things that I probably would have advised myself as like 13, 14 doing this Um no one really cares about your age, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, you might think, because like, it's the first, like you're the first person to like destroy yourself mentally, <laughs> um, especially in entrepreneurship. And you're going to tell yourself why it's a shit idea. And you just have to like turn that off until like you can prove that it's a terrible idea, which mostly, most of the time it's not. It's actually a pretty good idea to do something like that. Um, but to be honest, like no one really cared about my age as much as I thought they would. Um, of course, it would come up sometimes to be like, oh, like you're in high school. How are you going to ensure that this contract is like completed? And most of the time I'd say like, oh, I've done this like literally dozens of times before. Like, trust me, you're in good hands. Um, but like, yeah, entrepreneurship in of itself is kind of this like weird world of faking it till you make it, especially as a younger person. And I definitely live with that mentality of like, I don't yet know how I'm going to get from point A to point B, but it's going to be a fun ride to figure that out. And hopefully at the other end of the tunnel, like everyone's happy and uh, we're okay. If we're not, that's perfectly okay. I'm happy to break something. Um, But at the same time, I think you need to be willing to kind of put in that like vulnerability aspect of not being like, I I had lots of like contracts that were worth like tens of thousands of dollars, just like vanish out of complete thin air. And I'd be so upset by it because it'd be like, Oh, like put in eight weeks of nurturing this client couple, like tens of hours into like developing a strategy that they don't pay for that they, we use to like pitch with them and like all this like work and, was so stressed about pitching and da, 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 like all that other random bullshit that you do. And then they said, no. And I'm like, well, shit, like I must be terrible at this. Like, this is, this is so bad. Like I, I'm a terrible person. And you're like, no, you're not. You're just at that specific moment. It's not a good fit. So it's, it's really how you frame things in terms of like what's going on in your day to day. And it goes back to that thing of like taking breaks of like, not physical breaks, but something that's very different and takes you out of what you're doing in a day-to-day capacity. That for me personally gave me the opportunity to kind of riff with myself and be like, okay, like that was shit, but what's the next move? What are we going on now? And you can't like, you can't like stay in that mentality of like, I didn't get X. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to achieve what I want to do. You just kind of have to continue to move forward with like, okay, like I'm happy. (laughs) I'm still breathing. 
I can still do my stuff. I am not in jail. <laughs> We're okay. Like you're, you're going to have moments of pitfalls that you kind of just need to surpass. And I think, yeah, naturally, like it, no one cares as much about those types of things as you do. Um, so I definitely like having said that I definitely had a few contracts go away and not go through because of my age and them just explicitly tell me that like, we think you're too young for this. And I'm like, peace and love, I'll see you in a couple of years. And I still have relationships with those organizations. They might've not paid me anything, but that's perfectly okay. Like I would rather have a relationship with those people for a decade than have it for a year, fuck up their contract and them shun me and everyone in their network, um, them tell everyone in their network that like, I'm not as good as I think I am. So you, you gotta just, it, it's all the perspective of how that happens and yeah, so. And from an outside perspective, me just looking at you, I think your resiliency and your drive is something that I think every young entrepreneur can kind of look at because if you really want it, if you really want it, then you'll have that resiliency, you'll have that drive to know that, yeah, if you lose something, it's gonna affect you mentally for a short period of time but you got to get back up and you got to keep pushing if you really want it like that's that's the mentality you have to have and i think throughout gecko and contend like you did an amazing job you know dealing with those kinds of adversities but continue to drive and continue moving forward regardless of you know what the misconceptions or what what, what are the outside things that people might think so so moving forward like what's next for you like obviously tech alliance is what you're working on right now like do you see yourself going back into the entrepreneurship space but for purely as a, a under your personal brand or like what are you kind of thinking moving forward yeah i mean so i started a tech alliance a couple of weeks ago um i like to put it in perspective i'm still doing like my own thing um i still did it on the side it's a really great addition and i think it's it's something that i'll continue to do even um on my own um in terms of entrepreneurship i think it's funny, I came to Lori and I was like, oh, like, let's get the tools to like build another great business and like do it better. Cause like, I didn't know how to do taxes or accounting or those sorts of things in high school. Like, no, I paid people to do that. Like, let's save some cash after we've invested 20 grand into ourselves. So that was kind of my like, oh, like, this is what we're going to do with this. Um, having said that though, I think through activities like the consulting case in first year and then JDCC as well, what I've come to realize is that I, really do like strategy and consulting. And I think that's something that I would like to dive into post-graduation, which is something that also keeps me at Laurier is because you need that degree to do those types of things. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm kind of leaning at this point. But having said that, I think entrepreneurship is definitely something that I will go back to at some point of time, if that's an agency or if that's a um, different type of organization or whatever that it might look like. I think that's to be determined, but um, yeah, at the, at the same time, like Tech Alliance is really great for me because long story short, in my role, I get to build a lot of great products and tools and resources for entrepreneurs. So as an RIC, our mandate is to help grow the innovation economy in Southwestern Ontario, um, which is just a fancy word for let's help technology-based businesses or businesses that have a lot of potential to grow exponentially in our region um, with funding opportunities with mentorship that's free 
all those types of things that they kind of need in order to be successful. Um, so I get to help kind of them in their journey of building their business and being able to kind of support whatever it is that they're doing in their life cycle or their stage of their organization. And uh, thus far, it's been really fun. Um, my, excuse me, my bosses are very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're very passionate about making sure that I continue my education, um, which is something that obviously going into a full-time job while also doing school is a very daunting thing. And um, it's not for everyone. There's definitely like sacrifices that I personally have to make in order to achieve that. But at the same time, I know that I'm positioning myself as someone who in my region I can go to and hopefully down the road, I'm able to kind of leverage this experience into something even greater than that too. You have to, regardless of the position you get, if it's a co-op, if it's an analyst, like the lowest analyst at like the smallest bank in the world, like you have to be able to leverage every single opportunity that you're given, um, every single client that you sign a contract with as kind of a stepping stone or how I like to think of it as like a Lego, like a Lego brick, because you're building a house. So you need to, build that house not it doesn't matter how quickly you build it it's it's really how stable and how strong that foundation and that house is um, because sometimes it takes people decades to build that house sometimes it takes people like a couple of years and that's perfectly okay because everyone's house looks different and is built differently um it's going back to again that stability and how good how how good can you make that house and leverage it into something that can get you something even further. So that's that's kind of where I see Tech Alliance as being. I'm going to be there for at least the next year. I'm being, to be perfectly honest, at least. Um, and hopefully, I get to make some really cool shit there while I'm um, helping those entrepreneurs. And um, we're in the process of rebranding and those types of things, which for any organization is a really fun activity to do. Um, as a marketer so uh, yeah it'll be fun I totally agree I don't think I think there are a lot of misconceptions with all career paths with with everything but even like with entrepreneurship like sometimes people think you know when you sell your business oh like what are you going to do next like what are you going to start next what, what are you what are you going to build next that's the kind of step and I think sometimes obviously there are there are serial entrepreneurs that will keep doing that and that's just the way they are but I think most people it's it's open book and I think at the end of the day, it comes down to skill development, like looking at the things that you want to be able to do, the things you want to learn, the things that interest you. And then you never know where it can take you next, right? So even, you know, you moving forward, you've realized that going to strategy and consulting is like something that very much interests you. And the great thing about our careers is that you can do that for 5, 10, 15 years if you really want to. And then, and then you can move back. That's the reality of things, right? Going in and out you explore different parts of yourself when you're working in industry or when you're working as an entrepreneur, like it's very different. And I think the learning that you can get from both is so valuable moving forward. So, you know, I, I really did love, I, I did love your answer. So where can people find you if they want to reach out, if they're inspired by your story, if they want to message you? I'm on pretty much every social media channel. So um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and then Twitter. Um, with the exception of LinkedIn, my ads are all Sean with two N's, S-E-A-N-N, -N, Cornelius. And then LinkedIn is just 
my first and last name. <laughs> and then my website is just jeanfrenelis.com, which, um, yeah, just has my portfolio and the things I like to do and that's it. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Creator Coffee Hour. I hope you guys got a lot of value out of this episode because I know I did and I really, really enjoyed talking to Sean. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Creator Coffee Hour for weekly updates and some awesome, awesome content. And to receive the episodes the instant they are released, subscribe to our Substack through the link in our Instagram bio where you can subscribe to the email feed. Thanks again for listening and see you all next week.